Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Not. When you want it to work, a lot of times it won't work, doesn't it? Amen? Supposed to say, oh, me to that one. Because we all know how many times have you been in the middle of something and when you started doing it, a computer crashed. Anybody ever been typing up a paper or doing something extremely important? And in the middle of it, it decided that it did no longer want to function the way that it was intended to? That happened with me with an over 15 page paper. And uh, I will assure you, it is very disconcerting. It is downright discouraging. And I'm thankful, though, that one day, as the Bible talks about in eternity future, there, the Bible says the old order of things will have passed away, and all things will be new. We're not going to have to worry about computers crashing. We're not going to ever get a call anymore that we have that dreaded word, someone says, called C, the cancer word. We're not going to have any unintended or unexpected deaths. We're not going to have anybody who has gout, who has arthritis, who has a bad back, or who has a bum knee. We're not going to have to worry about being let down by humans ever again. We're not going to have to worry about the sin curse in any way affecting us because Scripture promises the old order of things will have passed away and all things are going to be new. I'm excited this morning because this morning the title of the message that God laid on my heart is, Are You Amazed? And if you don't know anything about homecoming, actually, God really hit me with this because there's a lot of younger church people who are, are in church in the, this generation who've not grown up in churches. A good majority of us have. I know most of you's backgrounds. So most of us have been in some semblance involved in churches that had homecomings and revivals. And it was a different time in history back then, wasn't it? It was a time when people didn't have all of the entertainment. They didn't have 60-hour work weeks and, you know, uh, uh, wireless devices. In many cases, the, the father worked and the mom was at home and the dad just did what had to be done. We did the church cookouts and the church potlucks and all of those things. Homecoming originally was intended to get people either who'd been placed in other churches, who'd had to move, who had, had been moved to a different part of town, involved in a church there, whatever it was, to come back and to share with each other God was involving them in, but also what God had done in the church that they had been a part of. It was a really encouraging thing uh, for back years ago, the whole intended purpose of homecoming was to testify, to brag on what God's doing. You know, a lot of people don't even know now what homecoming is about. And we think, you know what, oh, it's a good time to go have a potluck dinner. Well, if you want to have a potluck dinner, you could just have a potluck dinner, right? You didn't have to call it homecoming, but it was a time that everyone got together and they fellowshiped for a while. And a lot of times <clears throat> in the afternoon, it would have been behind the church. And when you got done eating, you left the flies on there. It wasn't a big deal back then, right? You just put some sheets over the food. And what happened? The kids would play, the adults would talk. And then what happened a couple hours later? You took the cover off the food and you ate again. That's what they would do. We don't know about that now, right? I don't know why, but God blessed the world with people like me who can't stand flies. So that, I think, ended the second 
part of the, the eating on Sundays at, at fellowship suppers and homecomings. But what we're going to look at this morning is what homecoming's about. What should we be doing in homecoming? What is the whole premise, the whole purpose of it? We're going to see in essence a little bit of a picture here in verses 18 through 20 of an essence of homecoming. Uh, a, a picture of what happens when someone's been blessed with someone and they have the ability to do this. And we're going to see, hope you found Mark chapter 5. We'll look at verses 18 through 20. And if you're able physically, let's stand out of reverence this morning for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed kept begging him to be with him. But he would not let him. Instead, he told him, go back home to your own people. Report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. Father, thank you this morning again for the privilege we have to be here. Lord, each person, each family represented God, thank you today, Lord. It's about Jesus that we're here. It's about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the gift of salvation that was given to us through that incredible sacrifice. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would be in all things preeminent. Number one, hide me behind the cross, Lord, so that you may speak to hearts, not only in this building, but online, all over the globe today. Father, I pray that ones would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the ability we have to impact this world. Lord, let us be faithful and run the race to completion. We ask this all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to share three things this morning that I hope you will take, reflect on, and think about, not only in a homecoming situation, but we should do this perpetually, continually. First thing this morning that I want to share with you is this. Homecoming should be about... A time of joy and refreshment. Joy and refreshment. Why? You see people you haven't seen in a while. You know, we were coming to church this morning, and one of the little ones said, I'm excited about this morning because of homecoming. That's what they said. I honestly, he had no clue what he was even, he didn't know what it was. He's just excited about it. That childlike excitement that children have. Are you excited about it this morning? You're going, oh, it's a change in schedule today. You know, we got to stay. They're going to be singing this afternoon. we got to stay longer. It's an easy thing to do that, right? Because we're all so tired. Everybody's tired. Everybody wants to go home. Everybody wants to rest. Why? Because we're running daylight till dusk every other part of our lives. And sometimes people get real selfish with Sundays, right? We all have that tendency to do it. But really what this should be this morning is a time of joy and a time of refreshment. You're going to see people that you haven't seen and what the intended purpose should be is, in essence, what we see right there in verse 19. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to share. He wants to be a part of what's happening. But Jesus says, hey, you have another ministry you need to attend to. What is that ministry? Verse 19. He wouldn't let them. He tells them, go back to your home, your own people. Report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. What a picture of what the call of Christ is on our life. How is the world ever going to know what Jesus means if we don't share with them how much God has done for us and how he has had mercy on us? We've been saved through grace. 
What is grace? God's unmerited favor. God has been gracious to us. In his mercy, he doesn't give us what we deserve. How many of you this week, right now, what would you have today if starting on Monday, you didn't know this and God came to you this morning and said, by the way, you are only going to have right now for the next seven days what you thanked me for starting Monday. I don't want you to answer it out loud. Answer it to yourself. What would you have right now if you only had what you had thanked the Lord for the last seven days? I'm going to venture as far as to say there's people in here that would have nothing. You would have no family. You would have no health. You would have no home. You would have no water. You'd have no air. You would have absolutely nothing because in a group this size, it's not a stretch to believe that there's people in here that have thanked God for absolutely nothing. In order to have a heart of thanksgiving, you have to recognize that what you have, you don't deserve. And see, I recognize that in grace, grace is God's unmerited favor. It is by grace we've been saved through faith, not of works, so that we can't boast about it. Everything about this morning, right now, just in this building, reeks of God's grace. It emanates from everything in our absolute lives, from turning on the faucet to looking at a family member. Everything is about God being gracious to us, giving us what we don't deserve. In his mercy this week, when you or I had an attitude of indignance, self-righteousness, arrogance, whatever it might be, something is pity, you know, as uh, small as we might think that that bad attitude was, you know. Well, I mean, you know, God, people do much worse things, right? We always justify, right? Well, Lord, I, I wouldn't have done that if they hadn't done this. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I'm sorry for what I did, but if you hadn't stopped justifying your attitude, just repent of it, amen? Don't justify it, because when you start justifying it, you've removed the power over the repentance that you had. We spend this inordinate amount of time excusing our behavior. Nobody wants to own anymore what Brother he was talking about. Hey, people don't want to talk about, don't, don't talk about sin anymore. I want to go to church and feel good when I leave. I, I don't want to talk about sin because that's, that's not on the table here. Tell me what I'm doing right. Let's work and let's build on that. If we don't address sin, we've got nothing to work with. Amen? We have nothing to build on because, in essence, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, what was the entire ministry built on? Addressing this little three-letter word. As a matter of fact, when he would heal someone, he would say, what? Go in. It was in every one of the encounters because that is the issue that mankind struggles with, and it is a sin nature. By grace, we've been saved through faith. God has called us to be in the world, but not of the world. We have been called out. Does that make it any easier? No. But it makes this time in history, this unique time in history, a very important time to this thing that I share consistently to live with an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of thanksgiving. When you wake up in the morning, if you're like myself, the first thing that knocks on the door of your heart is pain. Anybody else have that? You don't even have to move. And it says, hi, I'm here. Welcome to the day. Now, it's very easy to go, man, 
not another day feeling this. Oh, gosh, come on. Can't it? No. I learned this 20 years ago almost. I have to wake up and immediately start praying because I'm going to take captive my will to the will of God's will, the kingdom. I'm going to deny the desire to serve myself and to say, oh, I'm hurting today, and you know what? I deserve to do this or I deserve to do that. No, I deserve to do God's will because Jesus died for me, and he had a whole lot more pain than I could have ever dreamed of. And I know this morning that I have the ability to start my day in worship and thanksgiving, and it's going to be a time of what? Refreshment. It's going to be a time of joy. My life is going to be the exemplification of rejoicing and being thankful for what God's given me, not cursing my blessings by expecting God to give me more when he's given me more, as I said this morning, we talked about in Sunday school, more than 98 plus percent of everyone around the globe, we have more than all of them. Do you realize middle class here, we consider ourselves for the most part here, lower or even middle class. Do you realize that our middle class, I want you to go down to Mumbai. Why don't you just watch some documentaries on Mumbai in India? Why don't you watch documentaries from places all over the globe right now? What we consider middle class is super high upper class. These people live in abject poverty, but there's their middle class. These documentaries, they weren't complaining about it. As a matter of fact, one of them I was watching was a little shop owner, and this little shop owner would be this, basically, in essence, a lemonade stand owner to us, and they work seven days a week, 365 days a year for their entire life to live in abject poverty, but they're middle class. That doesn't even take into account where they break down the ships if you've ever watched that, that is, honestly, I think it was, it was so heartbreaking to me to see what these people's lives are. Their parents are born into these shipyard families, and these shipyard people make literally next to nothing. All the money goes to pay for the lodging and the food that these people give them, which is next to nothing. There's no vacations. There's no sick time. There's no personal days. There's no advancement. You get up every day. You walk out to these extremely dangerous grounds. Many of them are maimed or killed, and by the way, there's no disability if you get hurt. You hope that as you beg that someone gives you food for your, with your former co-workers as you are put out of the camp and you have to wait for them to walk by to beg for an injury you received on the job. See, we could go on. We're not in North Korea this morning under the uh, Kim Jong-il and Son dynasties worried this morning that we're going to get caught in here. We're not worried about the next famine that killed so many millions over the course of history in North Korea. We don't have those. We have the reason today to rejoice. We get in our cars and we drive in a climate-controlled vehicle to a homecoming service at church, and we can do whatever we wanted here. We can rejoice all day long without the fear that we're going to be put to, to death put in prison or our families be put in prison because somebody shared that we offered a Bible to somebody and not only do they take care of you, but all your extended family gets put in prison camp too. Church, we are so blessed. And with who much has been entrusted, much will be required. This morning, what great ability we have is we have this homecoming and you sit in there, you can tell people what's going on wrong in your life. Don't do it. Don't get taken captive to the enemy's desire to get you to magnify the negativity in our lives that everybody has something that you're struggling with. How about we focus on bragging on Jesus? 
Tell the assembly what God has done for you. What has God done for you? I know this morning I was so thankful as I spent 30 minutes with a family that's going to be coming to this church because they can't find a place where the Bible is supreme, where they believe it's the word of God. They're having a very difficult time finding a place where God is number one, preeminent, and the, the God's word is the full authority for their lives. And you know, we, we take that for granted if you've been here, don't you? Because I say this week in and week out, and I told them about how uh, the Bible, reading God's word, if you want to be at a church where you're not going to be encouraged to read the Bible, you don't want to be here. If you don't like verse-by-verse -verse preaching, you don't want to be here. If you don't like a pastor that talks about the Holy Spirit's power in our lives to convict us and to lead us, and if you don't believe in James chapter 5 when God's word calls us to anoint with oil and pray when you have sickness and you need the body of Christ to lift you up and to anoint you and pray over you, you don't want to be here because we believe God's word. Do you believe it? I would hopefully assume if you've been here for this length of time that you do believe it because you're going to be a fish out of water if you're here going, I just don't really believe that God's real, the Bible's real, nothing. I just don't believe all of it. Well, great, you're a mission field for us, amen? But you wouldn't stay here too terribly long, would you? Because you'd feel really awkward in believing if there is no God, why you'd spend week in and week out sitting in a church waiting for that euphoria, euphoric light to come on, Amen. So this morning, what are you going to choose to do when you have the ability this morning to make this a time of joy and refreshment? Let me share with you the second one. Homecoming should be about this, a time of thanksgiving. So we've got the joy, the refreshment of being with brothers and sisters in Christ. Some maybe haven't seen, some of you haven't seen in a year. Good to see you. Isn't it amazing how we are so busy now where people that live within an eyeshot of you, you don't see that often. I know family members that don't see each other and they live in the proximity of one another within a mile or two. That's how busy things. So you have to make a concerted effort to spend time with those people. It's not easy, is it? Not easy, is it? Does anybody in here say, you know, it's easy to make time for everything you need to do. Please raise your hand. Because I need some time with you. There's nothing easy about spending time keeping relationships alive. You ever had people that get mad at you when you don't call them, but yet they've never called you? Amen? You ever wondered about that? You're like, I told myself, well, last time I checked, the phone went both ways. Amen or oh me? Amen. This morning should be a time of thanksgiving. Thanking God. Uh, Barbara, do you remember when Mr. Christian left? Okay, did any of y'all know? It wasn't long after that, was it? 68? Does anybody know? Brother Charles, you remember? When Mr. Christian left? Yes. It was pretty close to, if, if I'm not the longest serving pastor in Longview's history, I'm very close to it. I don't say that as a badge of honor for me. I say that as kind of heartbreaking. This is the most discouraging part. That was in 68. Do you know what the average tenure, ready, 15 years ago for a Southern Baptist pastor was? 18 months. That was 15 years ago. Brothers and sisters, we're at a, an ominous time, I'd say, in the church history of things. We're watching this whole entire culture, we're watching church, we're watching denominations that are ceasing to exist. 
And the good part about this is I shared this with someone today. When you see those kind of things, you can tend to go, you know what, I'm, let's just throw in the towel because everything's coming apart at the wheels, right? The, the wheels are falling off. The vehicles are completely out of control. Actually, when I see all that, I get excited and encouraged. You know why? Because God's word told me, and I hope it's told you because if it has, that means you've been reading it. So are in the days of Noah, so will be at the coming of the Son of Man. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible talks at length about what's coming. Do we know exactly how it's going to happen when Jesus comes back? No, and I don't care. I know that when it happens, I'm going to have a front row seat to it. If Jesus doesn't come back for 40 years and I die at 38 years, have I missed something? No. I'll know exactly what happens when it happens. We're going to have a front row seat. That's why I'm what you hear me say. I say this quite often, a pan-millennial. It's going to pan out. I'm not going to argue with you about your dispensation on the end time prophetic. It doesn't matter. We can talk about it all. It's exciting. It's neat to talk about it and see all the different ways it can happen. <clears throat> and it's going to be awesome. But don't sit back and start arguing and split up as churches have and denominations have fractured over people having a different belief system on what they believe. Hey, the virgin conception... The virgin birth of Jesus Christ, he died on the cross to save us. Three days later, he rose from the grave. Those are indisputable truths. Those are not up for grabs. We can't discuss that. Jesus didn't have a family, as some documentary on TV wanted to say. I'm sorry, that is not the truth. We can talk about, though, all these other things, whether Adam and Eve had belly buttons and whether the chicken came before the egg and all those exciting things that really have merit and meaning, right? No, they don't have merit and meaning. It's just avenues by which people start to argue. Why don't we talk about what unites us, not what divides us? I've got great brothers and sisters in Christ in many different denominations, some that I have deep disagreements with. Does that mean that I can't go and sit down at lunch and talk about what we do agree on? No. Why would you do that? Why would you prevent yourself from having fellowship with someone who for the vast majority of what you believe, you believe? Could I sit down with someone who is of another complete faith system, completely anti-Christian or anything? Absolutely. Well, Brother Jonathan, how could you do that? That's a mission field. That's a mission field. You think God's not bigger than that? You think that God can't save someone? God can save anybody. But we have to be willing to put aside our dogmatic belief systems and believing that we have all the truth, we have an edge on truth, and everybody else is wrong. We've got to be careful because what we can do is end up literally sitting there like a Pharisee, a Sadducee. We can end up sitting up on our high horse and what Scripture says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. This is what I do realize, and I've, I share this. This is very, very powerful in my opinion. Remember when they're getting ready, when they call him the stone, the woman, remember? When Jesus makes this, as they're all lining up to stone her, this profound statement. And it was this. Ye who was without sin cast the first stone. Starting with the elders. They started walking away one by one. And Jesus is left there with her. By the way, you know what that is the picture of with those older ones leaving first? I know this. 
the older you get, the more you realize it's by God's grace that you're not anything that you ever thought you could have been. It is only by the restraining grace of the Holy Spirit of the living God that I myself right now have not completely and utterly destroyed everything that God ever wanted to do in and through me. And I recognize that I am from the dust of Adam and it's by his grace and why I have to stay desperate for him. Why I cannot miss a day in God's word and I cannot miss a day in prayer. Staying in his, like I told you last week, dwelling in God's presence is something that I have to continually do because I know that there is nothing good in me that is good apart from the Spirit of God dwelling in his presence, meditating on the Scripture. Delight yourself in him. He'll give you the desire of your heart. So when you delight yourself in the Lord, he gives you more of himself. See, how many times have you heard people mention that and, and they look at it in a financial sense? Delight yourself in the Lord to give you desires of your heart. Oh boy, that new car, I'm going to spend time in the Bible and in prayer and God's going to give me a new house. It's not right. Delight yourself in the Lord. He gives you the desire of your heart. When you delight yourself in him, your desire's him. You want more of him. You want more of his presence. You want more of his thoughts. Think about it. Is that your heart this morning? Or do you see spiritual things or religion as a means by which to tithe and then you get more back? Well, we can test God. The only place in Scripture God says to test him is in that principle. But I'm not tithing so that God will give me more. It's an act of worship. What a blessing. When he mentioned that earlier, that is an act with which we're able to be a blessing. Show God, I know you gave me this. God, thank you. I want to be a part of others experiencing the gift of salvation, the work of God, and the ability, Lord, to, to allow what you've given me to be reinvested into the kingdom to be used for your glory. That's deep. But see, we, we battle this short-sightedness as humans, and are they amazed? Is the world amazed when they hear what God is doing in your life when you talk about it? I have this question this morning to you. Do you have anything to talk about? If you'd say to me, well, Brother Jonathan, if somebody asks me right now what God's doing in my life and what he's taught me, I, I don't have anything I'd be able to say. We need to talk. I say that because it's much too important of a subject. And as I shared this morning with someone, Matthew chapter 25, what is the difference in a goat and the sheep? A goat? They never saw the need. They never saw the hungry. They never saw the thirsty. They never saw the naked, the imprisoned. They never saw them in the first place. So in Matthew 25, when Jesus addresses, when at the end, when the addressing of the sheep and the goats occurs, the first thing out of the goat's mouth is, when were you hungry? When were you thirsty? When were you naked? Whatever you did not do to the least of these, you did not do unto me, and they will go away into everlasting fire. And then the goat, the, the sheep though, it says, I was hungry, you gave me something to, to drink. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and in prison, you visited me. And they will say, when did we do this? And he says in response, Whatever you did to the least of these, you have done unto me. Why does a sheep do that? Because it's the nature of a sheep, the regenerate, who have come by grace and through faith in the Holy Spirit of God has come to dwell in them. They have compassion for the widows, the homeless. 
They have a compassion for orphans. They have a compassion for those in need. Goats don't. They never have and they never will. They will do it when the acts invoke praise in a public forum. Oh, yes, I couldn't help it. We see this, don't we, in the news. So-and-so gave something to this huge public acclaim as everyone was telling them how amazing they are for doing these good works. Tell them that there will be no praise and no acclaim and see if those works occur. See, the things you do for the Lord, you do why? Because the heart has been changed, it's been transformed. It's not about me. It's not about you, it's about him. It's about the singular kingdom. The kingdom universal today is the person in Shelbyville or Unionville, Tennessee, and the person in Africa, sub-Saharan, in atrocious conditions who walks four hours this morning with threat of being raped, robbed, killed, who walks that four hours barefooted, who has absolutely nothing but a shanty to live in, who spends that four hours each way rejoicing as they walk to that. I can give you the documentaries and you can watch it in person. It's profound. As they go to church and worship at a level you could not begin to imagine because they realize that God is their strength. He's their strong tower. He's their deliverer. He's their everything. And they, in absolute, with complete, heartfelt praise, worship for upwards of three or four hours, which then culminates in them walking back home. Many times, dark by the time they get there. See, this morning is a time of thanksgiving, not only for what God's blessed us with personally, but as the body of Christ here, what God has enabled us to see and be a part of here, literally at best, I can say, leaves me speechless. God has done so much in this body in the last 16 years of me being here. If God didn't do anything else, I could not say, God, if I was here 50 more years, I have nothing that I could say, God, why wouldn't you? Now, do I think that would happen? No. But God has been so good that I couldn't expect him to do anything else. That's how profound the hand and the work of God's been here. It is all about him, though, and it's all been him and him alone. The more we've stayed away from trying to be the hands and the feet of doing his job, the better he has done at doing what he does. We are his workmanship creating Christ Jesus to do good works, right? That's what the scripture says. So what I say to you this morning is I thank God that he has blessed us to be a part of this ministry at this time in history. Never in a million years did I think 2023 would come. Anybody else? No, we didn't believe for a moment 2023. I remember in 2008 going, I can't even believe we're at 2008 when God put us in this little church all those years ago. And look at what's happened since then. Not only what God's done here, but also the ones that God's equipped who are now doing ministry, who have been a part of here where God used this ministry to minister to them, <clears throat> and now God's using them. Look at the ones who come to faith in Jesus Christ here. God has been so faithful and so good. What has been the power behind that? Well, I say one of the things is we pray every Sunday morning. By the way, I want all of you there. What happens in this little room when we pray on Sunday mornings? We invite God to do what only God can do. We're letting him understand we know God. It's not about us. We pray that God would hedge this building with his protective angels, that God would purge anything or anyone that would not want to honor, glorify, and lift up his name. 
it is important because we recognize that the engine of Longview Baptist Church has nothing to do with me or anybody else for that matter, does it? It's the power of God. It is the work of God. It is the spirit of God. And for a moment, if we think that we have anything that's, that's the power behind that is when everything goes to pieces. The same is not only true in this body of Christ, but true in our lives. Right now, are you facing adversity in your life? Are you facing an obstacle right now that you don't have a clue how you're going to deal with what you're facing? And you're going, I don't know what I'm going to do. God, I, I just, Lord, I am up against a wall. Maybe you're not saying that, though. Maybe you're just in your own mind trying to deal with it in a human way as opposed to, to coming to that place in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul came to in verses 9 and 10. He had a thorn. God had allowed him a vision to see heaven. And he had to humble him because I guess Paul might have had a little pride issue. And Paul was going to do that. Ha-ha, God, let me see heaven. So God had to make him humble. He had to humble him. So he gave him a thorn. The Bible doesn't say what the thorn is, and I think it's very important that he doesn't say that. Because if Paul had gout, if Paul had a bad back, if Paul had a bum knee, we would go, oh, well, Paul had a bum knee, but I have this. I think God did not allow that thorn to be named because it applies to all of us. And in Paul's weakness, it was so terrible and hurt him so much that he pled with God. It says plead. When you look at the actual, go back in the interlinear and you study what there, he was pleading with God, not just a, Lord, take it away, take it away, take it away, because it says three times. If you don't understand the context of what's happening, Paul is broken. Paul is at his wit's end. He is in agony. And he pleads with God three times to take away the thorn. What does God do? God says, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect for weakness. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're up against a wall with a situation, whether it be a work situation, relationship situation, maybe you've got a church situation, you don't know what you're going to do. I can assure you, if you will become weak, you'll become strong. God desires us to recognize that he's the power over everything in our life. God is the author of salvation. You can't convince that prodigal child that they need the Lord no more than I can convince you that you need to eat a big blob of fat. I can't convince you of that, nor can you convince your child that they need Jesus. But the Holy Spirit of God can do that. And see, that's where our most powerful weapon comes at, and that is when we pray. We get on our face before God, and what do we do? We recognize, God, I am in my weakness. I can't do anything that changed their heart, but God, I know you can, and I know that your desire is to save. We know that because you love people. You created them. And you have a desire to see men, women, boys, and girls come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So God, I know that as I pray that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior, that I'm praying in accordance with your will. So that's when, in this second point, you start praying and thanking God. God, I'm thanking you for what you're doing right now to orchestrate the salvation of the person that you're praying that comes to faith in Christ. By the way, that's praying, and you're showing your faith. There's a story, I don't use illustrations at all, but I happened to read this this week, and it's not written down. It stuck so heavy in my mind. This pastor, they were praying over a church growth thing. They wanted people to come to the church. It was really small, no one was coming. So the ones that were there, 
The pastor said, I'm not going to preach this morning, and I'm not going to preach until you come back next week, and we're going to pray that God would send the lost to this church and that they would come to know Christ and they would have new believers in these pews. And at the same time, we need rain right now because y'all are farmers, and I want you to pray for rain. And everybody agreed that they were going to pray fervently that week for rain that they believed God would send. Next Sunday morning, they all get back in there. The preacher gets up there, and he's distraught. They're like, what's wrong? We prayed all week. He said, you prayed, but you didn't have faith. He said, what do you mean? He said, you have no umbrellas. That's the point, isn't it? See, if you pray and you really believe God's going to send rain, I'm not joking. You know as well as I do. At least y'all that have hair, those nice, you know, you paid to have that perm done, you're going to have an umbrella if you think it's going to rain, don't you? I wouldn't because I don't carry umbrellas. But those of you who carry umbrellas, if you have faith, you've got that umbrella, don't you? I know when it's coming rain. All I got to do is stand right here as people are coming, and I can tell you when it's going to rain. Because those of you who like to protect your hair, you have an umbrella with you. That's what faith is. You know what faith is? It's when you don't have enough money and God has laid on your, you know what tithing is? What faith is? When you have $3 left in your account, your tithe should have been $3. And you have no other way to meet the needs for the next week till you get paid again. What faith is is saying, God, I'm not in the financial bind I'm in because of, because of you. It's because of me. But I trust you, God. And I'm, I know that you gave me what I have. And the only reason that I'm able to do what I can do right now is because of you, Father. And I'm going to trust you. That's faith. Because what you're doing is entrusting God with the other five days that week till you get paid. See, that's faith. By the way, do you know that's one of the things I've heard over and over again, and I think it's true. One of the greatest demonstrations of faith happens on Sunday morning when offering plates pass around. Because what you're doing is not only demonstrating to God you trust him, but you're trusting him to replace what you've blessed him with. This morning, are you living with thanksgiving? Are you waking up every morning, and the first, I don't care what you feel like, this is what you feel like, do Ephesians 3.20, and him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Are you starting here? Are you starting there? If you're starting here, you're not having a good life right now. You're not happy. You're not rejoicing, and you don't have joy. You're angry. You're bitter. And by the way, I want to encourage you with something right now. If you don't change what you're doing, you're going to die that way. I don't want that to happen to you. Because I worked in geriatrics many years ago, I watched a lot of people meet the end of their life. And I saw people who were extremely bitter, and those people's deaths were not good. They were absolute turmoil inside. They were bitter. They were angry. And it's a terrible way to finish. But church, I want to encourage you this morning. If someone's done something, there's not a person in this building right now that can't say someone has done something to you at some point in your life whether they've hurt someone you love, whether they've killed someone you love, whether they've harmed someone, whether they stole something from you, stole something from those you love. There's a lot of things that I could go in on and on and on to help greater classify what I'm speaking to. But my question this morning is, are you living in the bitterness of what happened or right now? Are you living in the gift of forgiveness and recognizing there's nobody that gets away with anything? Amen? I hope y'all believe that because it's true. Nobody gets away with anything. But guess what? When you forgive them, you take away the power for them to own you. 
and for them to have five more minutes of your thoughts and your heart. Remember that bitterness and anger is this, drinking poison, waiting for the person to die. This morning, I want to encourage you because you can't live a life of thanksgiving if you have bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, or resentment in your life. I'm going to give you the greatest present this morning if that's you because you can let it go today because God's going to deal with it much better than you're killing yourself in the process could ever do. And I'm going to give you the key this morning to, to wake up tomorrow and to live an absolute life of complete, unyielding thanksgiving and a blessing of a life to not only yourself, your family, but also to the Lord. That's how it happens when you forgive. That's letting go of that debt that you feel that other person owes you for the offense that they've committed against you. Because keep this in mind, the parable of the unmerciful servant in Scripture talks about the one who the, the king had forgiven this person a lifetime of debt. By the way, the king represents Jesus and the forgiveness that was extended to us. That man leaves the presence of the king and on the way home runs into someone who owed, them, owed him one day's wage. He grabs the person, starts choking them, and says, pay me what you owe me. Sadly, someone sees this, goes back to the king, Jesus, and says, hey, the person you just forgave a lifetime of debt is choking someone over a day's wage. What happens? The Bible says, calls him back in and said, you unmerciful servant, I forgave you a lifetime of debt, and you were choking someone for a day's wage. He turns them over to the tormentors until every cent is paid. If you want to know what that story really represents, not only is it a representation of us if we don't forgive, but also it's a picture of King Saul and his anger at David. David had done nothing wrong. Look at that tormenting spirit that King Saul was under until the day that he died. Don't allow the enemy to use something like anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness to leave you or I in bondage. Allow yourself to be a testimony of the amazing works of God, the forgiveness of God, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that guards your hearts in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I don't care how old you are this morning, you have the ability to finish strong today. Doesn't matter if you're five years old or you're 55 or 95 today, you could be in your last week of life right now. My challenge to you is this. Are you going to finish strong if you're here and this is your last week, month, or year alive? Are you going to finish strong? Is the world, as they, they eulogize you, as they celebrate your life, are they going to be amazed at the power of God, the work of God, and the hand of God in your life? Or will they talk about how you were so funny how you could do this or do that, but no mention of anything spiritual. It'd be heartbreaking. Because who we truly are is brought out most often when we celebrate someone's life. And I hope that for you, it's like myself, that your passion, your love for Christ is going to be the overarching themes one day when our dash is complete. And then the third and final thing, we're done. Homecoming should be a time of testimony. God has done amazing things because of the ministry, because of the prayers, because of the love of I have a deeper, more intimate knowledge of the Lord. Or maybe if you're at this body of Christ, you can share and testify about how God has led you to read God's word and how you faithfully have been in God's word and how God speaks to you. And you realize that when you weren't reading God's word, it was like putting your hand over God's mouth. And you're so thankful now that as you've removed your hand from God's mouth, he pours out his thoughts to you. He pours out his heart 
his heart beat to you. He pours out a greater measure of his spirit as he grows you and nurtures you and prepares you for each and every step. As Proverbs 3 promises, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him in the promise. He will direct your paths. That's a testimony. God, thank you as you help lead me from the land of bitterness to the land of rejoicing, the land of peace and joy and hope and contentment, Father. God, thank you. I testify, Lord, you are faithful, you are good all the time. Is that what you're doing? Or are you still looking back at, you know, God, if you'd only do this and and, you know, if my wife this, my husband that, if my kids and my neighbor and my job, they paid me what I was worth, I'd be fired, if you're honest, right? I'm, I see it. I see people right now, and I stand there and go, they'd fire. They'd, there wouldn't be anybody working almost anywhere in fast food in this, this county. There'd be very few. You couldn't do that 30 years ago. I'm sorry you couldn't. You couldn't sit like I experienced standing there to order a sandwich and someone on a phone call and did not finish. They finished that phone call before they were going to take my order. Could not even imagine that 30 years ago. Well, this is, how do I fix that? You don't fix that. You fix you. And by the way, you can't fix you and I can't fix me, but God can. See, that's when you live with an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving and rejoicing. It doesn't worry about what everybody else does. You worry about what revival starts within, and revival starts in the middle of a hula hoop when you and I stand in it. It starts with us. Are you amazed today if you are someone who's looking at you and would say as they walk away from time with you, I am amazed at what God is doing in their life. Man, when I pray with them, I feel like some, I really feel like I'm in the presence of God when they're praying with me. When you pray for someone, should they grab an umbrella if you're praying for rain? Or can they be assured that nothing will happen? I want to tell you something. If I'm ever diagnosed with cancer and I call you to pray over me, don't you show up if you don't believe it. Don't. Because if I find out, your life will get hurt. Amen? When it comes to the point in life when I need to be prayed over, I want people that not only know God's word, but they believe God's word and have the faith that God can heal. Because this is what I know this morning, church. God not only hears prayer, God can do anything in accordance with his will. The great thing is, I know that God's a healer. I know that God's in everything and can do it all. I want my inner circle of people that are praying with me to be like-minded and believe the God of all creation can do and will do as we pray in accordance with his will. Are you one of those people that believes it? And this morning, if not, I want to encourage you to do something. Pray that God would change your heart. How? That God would give you the faith of a mustard seed so that people will be amazed when they're in your presence. Not amazed at you. Not amazed at me. Amazed at the works of God. The hand of God. Because if you're honest with yourself this morning, 
and you're honest with what you've seen and you've seen true prayer, you can explain away. You can explain away, oh, we just started praying, but see, the doctors had done this and that's why they got here. No, why don't you give God the credit he deserves? God heals and he does stuff every day that we can't even begin to fathom or imagine. And you're watching faith demonstrated on Sundays here with these people that are praying over prodigal children, praying over prodigal mothers and fathers. They believe it, they know it, and we're gonna watch the hand of God change the hearts of these people, amen? And we're gonna be able to testify and they'll be able to testify that God has delivered and saved and redeemed. And think about this. You would have been an active participant in the catalyst with which God heard the prayer but answered it. You know what I'm saying over here. It takes a lot of faith when you start praying for those people that you love. But it matters. They matter. This morning, are you amazed? Are you amazed at the hand of God, the work of God? Are you amazed in this homecoming today or hopefully will be at what God's doing in other people's lives? I hope you are excited when God's doing something in someone else's life. Because sadly, I've Seen it happen before where people get jealous. I wish God would do that in my life. Well, that's not a spiritual mindset, church. Get excited when God's doing something in somebody's life. You pray for them. I want God to do something in a church down the road a hundred times bigger than this. Why? Because we're in the same kingdom work. We're not in competition with anybody. I'm excited this morning because we are all e pluribus unum all over the globe today. If somebody has more people at their church and God's doing more, then praise the Lord. I'll pray that we're doing exactly what God wants us to be doing and that we're faithful in what God has entrusted us with. Jealousy, though, is nothing to do about the kingdom work. And if God blesses a brother or sister with a nicer car or house than you, thank God that God gave that to them. Amen? Rejoice with them. God's blessed them. Amen? God's blessed you, too. Just don't allow your perspective to be falling in a worldly sense. Be amazed. That homecoming is a time of testimony. Testify to the miracle-working power of the Almighty God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith ask him to save you to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you want to live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.